0: from the capital city of Charleston, West Virginia. This is Inside West Virginia Politics with Mark Curtis. Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia. Your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Inside West Virginia Politics. I'm your host, Mark Curtis. We're going to have some remembrances of 9-11, the 20th anniversary, later on in the show. But we want to begin this weekend by talking about the serious spike in COVID-19 cases here in the Mountain State of West Virginia. We're joined by Dr. Clay Marsh from Morgantown. He is the West Virginia COVID-19 czar. Clay, good to have you back
2: on the program. Thank you, Mark. Always good to be with you.
1: I want to go back to early July. We had 882 active cases, I believe, on July 9th. Uh, We are taping the show on Wednesday, September 8th. Two months later, we have more than 22,000 active cases. What has happened and why?
2: Well, Mark, we have said now for the past four to six weeks that the Delta variant was undoubtedly going to cause a large surge in the state of West Virginia, as it has everywhere else. It is much, much more highly contagious than any variant that we have seen. And uh, as we know, it can exist in a 1,000 times higher concentrations in in droplets and aerosols. And this is what the Delta variant does. It infects people. And when it reaches a certain point, then you get a lot of infection in social networks and groups and cross-contamination. And you see this explosive growth. And that's indeed what we're seeing in West Virginia right now.
1: And tell people again, remind them how much more potent it is. I believe you said sometimes it's a thousand times more potent than the original strain of COVID-19.
2: Certainly, Mark, the the concentration of virus is over a thousand times higher in the airways of people who are infected with the Delta variant than with the initial COVID virus that we saw from China. But we know that the that the uh, infectability is many times greater and it is even more so um, as people drop their guard and, you know, don't wear masks indoors and, and around other people who may well be infected, not know it. Plus this infection with the Delta variant can spread at much earlier times, uh, even as little as a day after being infected, somebody can infect others. And the peak infectious time of this variant is four days versus previous, which was six days. So it's harder to trace this, harder to identify people that are infected. And so this variant is much different, a really unique virus than we've seen in the past.
1: We have had, and again, we're taping on Wednesday morning, and uh, we had 1,352 new cases since yesterday. I can't remember a day now going back three, four weeks where we didn't have a 1,000-plus new cases a day. We had one day last week where we had 2,000 new cases a day. Is this going to be the dorm for a while?
2: Well, in general, Mark, what we've seen for this variant is like a fire in a forest, the more dry timber that exists, the more the fire starts spreading rapidly and and more rapidly and that's what's happening here. So we're seeing a lot of infection in West Virginians that are unvaccinated and severe infections, including hospitalizations, ICU admissions and ventilator use really mainly in people that are unvaccinated. And we anticipate that probably for the next uh, five days to perhaps as many as 15 days, we will see a continuous. Continued more expansive growth. And then at some point, it will sort of burn itself out and start to come down. And and that's what we've seen in other countries and other states that have had the Delta variant.
1: Well, anecdotally, I can report twice in the last week, I was with Dr. Angie Settle at West Virginia Health right at her clinic on the east end of Charleston, also with Dr. Sherry Young and her troops from the Charleston Health Department, and they are vaccinating and testing all kinds of people. Is that really the answer to this at this point in time? And their numbers are surging too.
2: Yes, what, what we're doing, Mark, is we know that having more vaccinated West Virginians is so critically important. Unfortunately, now that we're in the midst of this this surge, then vaccination immediately won't get us out of the surge. We also know that in other places that hospitalizations and deaths tend to follow even after the peak of the new cases has exhausted, for about 10 to 14 days at least. So when we're vaccinating people now, we're really vaccinating people to try to reduce the time that we're seeing this explosive growth. So getting vaccinated now is very important. But
1: Dr. Marsh says he believes the COVID-19 surge in West Virginia will peak in the next five to 14 days. As always, stay with your local Nextar Media television station for updates on COVID-19. As promised, coming up next on Inside West Virginia Politics, we'll look back on the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Stay with us.
0: Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the mountain state. And welcome back to Inside
1: West Virginia Politics. As promised, we want to discuss the 20th anniversary of 9-11, the September 11th attacks uh, of 2001 here in the United States. I'm joined now by Senator Shelley Moore Capito, Republican of West Virginia, who right now is the only sitting member of the West Virginia congressional delegation that was actually in Congress that day. Good to have you on the show. Thank you. And uh, boy, it's hard to mark 20 years, isn't it? It
3: is, it's always a solemn day. It doesn't matter what year, but certainly 20 years is very impactful. And uh, I do remember that very clearly that day on Capitol Hill.
1: Yeah, take us back, where were you, what were you doing and what happened?
3: Yes, I was in my office in the Longworth building on the house side and I had some constituents from Harpers Ferry had come in to talk with me. And like everybody our eyes sort of drifted to the tv you know you have the tv on for news purposes and you see what's happened and and your first instinct is oh wow Uh, you know the pilot passed out something happened it was you couldn't tell and then shortly thereafter you could tell we were under attack Uh, we kind of scrambled around in our office Uh, one of my staff members said look out your window i looked out my window i could see the billowing smoke from the pentagon And that's when I think everybody realized uh, that this is much bigger than what we could have imagined. So we left and I went to a safe spot and sort of watched it all unfold. Um, And Capitol Hill's never been the same.
1: Yeah, it's really remarkable. I'll tell you where I was, I was anchoring the news on Channel 2 in San Francisco at uh, 6 o'clock in the morning when it happened, and uh, you know, at at first, and I'm old enough to remember the the small plane that flew into the Empire State Building Mm -hmm. in in New York City way back when in the early 60s, and I said, boy, I wonder if it's another repeat incident of that. We had no idea it was a jetliner, let Mm -hmm. alone a terrorist attack, but then by the time the second plane hit, you knew the the nation was under attack. Would take us to later in that evening. I still remember, to me, it was one of the most poignant moments of the whole day and the whole event. It was, like, it was almost like a Mount Rushmore moment when every member of Congress gathered right. on the steps of the Capitol. And I assume you were there, too, to sing God Bless America. What was that like?
3: Well, through the day, I had gone over to the Capitol Police headquarters to try to find out what was going on. And there was such a a mishmash of communications. Remember, the cell phones went down. The first thing I did is what I think everybody did, is I made sure that my parents and my husband knew that I was safe, personally, because DC was under attack. And then we went forward trying to figure out how to unravel uh, what was going on. We were called to come to the Capitol at, I think, believe at seven o'clock on that evening. And I must admit, uh, I thought to myself, are we setting ourselves up for something that's, uh, an unsafe situation, but uh, I decided, uh, in in my great wisdom, and and I would never regret to go to the Capitol that day. And we talked. The Speaker and the and the Majority Leader of the Senate spoke, and then we just spontaneously started singing "God Bless America." It was a very powerful moment, very uplifting. I think we wanted the country to see that we're going to face this challenge. We're going to be strong. We're going to care for one another and at that point we didn't even really know the ramifications of all our first responders and the firemen and and women in in New York City and what had happened there. So this story began to unfold. But it was a great moment, I think, for the country to see us all there.
1: Yeah, and I think for me one of the most poignant moments was we had a flight, Flight 93 from Mm -hmm. Newark, New Jersey, headed to San Francisco, which crashed in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. So for us it became a very big story. I got very close to a lot of those families. And that, of course, was the heroic flight where the passengers fought back. They stormed the cockpit. Mm -hmm. They killed the terrorists or at least drove that plane to, into the ground mm-hmm. and, uh, in, in an act of American heroism, and a lot of people think that plane was turning around and heading to the U.S. Capitol.
3: You know, I have no doubt that plane was heading for the U.S. Capitol because the terrorists had hit some very symbolic, obviously, the Twin Towers, but the Pentagon. Uh, the speculation is, were they coming for the White House or the Capitol? Personally, I think the White House would have been a little bit more difficult to hit, And can you imagine the impact of having a plane flying into our capital?
1: We just saw this uh, mess in Afghanistan the last couple of weeks. Are you worried that this makes Afghanistan perhaps a safe place, safe harbor for terrorists again, and we could face another 9-11 type attack?
3: Absolutely, I'm concerned about this. Even our generals, General Milley said, yes, he he believes that terrorism will re-foment in Afghanistan. I mean, the whole situation... It was just miserably and humiliating, I think, for our country, and very disenchanting disenfranch- to the me- to the members of our military had served, our diplomatic corps, and certainly to those Afghans that had helped us. And so, I think by permanently leaving every everything, even diplomats and 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 military, we've really left ourselves defenseless against uh, the Taliban. Not so much, but the Taliban's willingness to uh, harbor Al-Qaeda, to harbor terrorism, to harbor ISIS, to, to terrorize women. I mean, it's just a horrible situation.
1: All right. Well, we want to certainly uh, remember and pray for the families yes. of the nearly 3,000 people that lost loved ones on 9-11. We pray it doesn't happen again. Uh, and we honor them this weekend on the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. We have plenty more to talk with about Senator Capito, about current legislation and so forth. We'll be right back at Inside West Virginia Politics.
0: Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the mountain state.
1: And we welcome you back this weekend on Inside West Virginia Politics. We want to continue our discussion here with Senator Shelley Moore, Capital, Republican of West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Lots going on in Washington, D.C. First of all, I've got to talk to you about something happening back here in West Virginia. Of course, it's happening nationwide. We're seeing the sudden surge of COVID-19 cases. Yes. I mean, I was uh, as I talked to Dr. Marsh earlier, we had 882 cases, I think, on July 9th here in West Virginia. Now we have more than 22,000 in just two months. What are your concerns about this? What's your advice? advice? advice to the public. Um, And is there any more help coming from Washington?
3: I'm very concerned about this. I I think you hear our hospitals are full. Some of our emergency rooms are full. uh, More people on ventilators. Uh, If you look at the statistics, there is a not even comparable, much higher percentage in the nineties of the people that are hospitalized or in danger are unvaccinated. I mean, it's clear to me that uh, the vaccination is successful. It, uh, it lessens the uh, symptoms, it keeps you out of the hospital, and uh, it also prevents you from getting it in the first place. We've got to get more people vaccinated. That to me is the bottom line. And uh, I'm doing everything I can through my social media and other things to encourage people uh, to, to make sure that they think about the, the incredible investment that we made to come up with this vaccine that's safe and effective in such a short period of time to do the very thing that we're trying to prevent right now with these hospitalizations.
1: Yeah. I don't want to get into the politics of the mask right. mandates because that's right. gotten really ugly, unfortunately. But should people voluntarily wear masks in close knit situations, uh, you know, at the shopping mall and restaurants? Common sense type advice. Yeah,
3: I think common sense wise, uh, I, I certainly am cognizant now of making sure that I have a mask so that I can be considerate of, of other people within uh, within the group I might be meeting with. Uh, you know, I'll just give you an example. I was meeting with a group this week and one of the, one of the women had a grandchild who had cancer. I mean, you, you wanna be cognizant of that to make sure that you absolutely exercise as much precaution as possible. I mean, I don't like putting the mask on any more than anybody else Me does. Me too, I'm with but, you. But you know, it's a safety shield and I think we, you know, we should wear it when it's appropriate.
1: I understand fencing is going up around the U.S. Capitol because there's going to be another protest again this week or next week in support of the people that were arrested in the last Capitol riot. Your concerns about that?
3: I'm concerned and disheartened by that. I mean, you know, legal and lawful protest is something that is as old as our nation, and certainly the, the ability to gather around the Capitol should, should be a, something that's preserved, but uh, I'm really disappointed that we have to have another fence Uh, I think it sends a a, a bad signal to um, what we feel might happen at at a protest like that. And so, um, you know, after January 6th, I think that's changed the way our uh, law enforcement looks protecting us and protecting the capital.
1: I would be remiss if we did not discuss the infrastructure bill, right? Right. It's, uh, you were one of the architects uh, in the early stages of the bipartisan, what became the bipartisan agreement in the Senate. Now it's over in the House, we have this $3.5 trillion um, well, it's a monstrosity. Right. There's a lot of stuff. It's the kitchen sink bill. Everything isn't there but the kitchen sink. What are your thoughts on it? Does it any any chance of passing the Senate? What's going to happen?
3: Well, first of all, the $3.5 trillion, to me is just a massive tax and overspend uh, mission that uh, the administration is on. I mean, I- I've never seen a strategy where you name a number and then you put things in it. Normally, you look at what your needs are, and that determines how much you need to spend. We don't need to spend 3500000000000 trillion. We've already spent over $6 trillion in, in the last two years on COVID and other things. The physical infrastructure piece, which is roads and bridges, the part that I worked on, I think is absolutely essential. It will be good for job creation, it will be good for modernizing our infrastructure, broadband, roads, bridges, all the things that we have great need here for West Virginia, quarter H, uh, field expressways, all of these major projects are gonna get a major boost in the arm. Do I think it will pass? I think there's gonna be a lot of politics here as we move through September. Uh, and I certainly hope that it passes singularly and that we defeat this monstrosity as you characterize it and I believe it is uh, tax and spend bill.
1: You know there, there are people on the other side that say look uh, it's great you fix the roads highways and bridges but if mom can't get childcare she can't go back to work.
3: These are discussions we need to have uh, I mean I voted to make sure that uh, you know paid family leave in the last administration was extended to certain federal employees I think that was a good first step uh, and, and I certainly can see in my own family trying to cover a child care under these conditions in COVID has been very difficult and a lot of people have dropped out of work. So these are discussions we should have. How much do we need? Uh, where can we fill the gap? Where's the private sector come in here?
1: All right, We're going to keep an eye on this bill. It's a moving target in Washington, D.C. We want to thank Senator Shelley Moore Capito, nice. Republican of West Virginia, for joining us. Always great to have you on the program. Great to see you.
0: All right. Thanks, Mark.
1: And we'll have more of Inside West Virginia Politics after this
0: break. Don't Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State.
1: And welcome back to our final segment this weekend on Inside West Virginia Politics. We're gonna continue our discussion of 9-11 since we're marking the 20th anniversary this weekend. I wanna introduce Subarazi. She is Vice President of the Islamic Center of West Virginia as well as uh, the leader of the West Virginia Interfaith Refugee Ministry. Good to have you on the program.
4: Thank you for having me.
1: You know, I I think back to 20 years ago and there was a lot of um, hate crimes and vitriol set towards American Muslims who obviously had nothing to do with the 9-11 attacks. Your thoughts on that day, your reflections, and where we are 20 years later.
4: I still feel the anxiety and and the anxiousness that I felt when it happened because I was in my office. I worked for OSHA. I'm a retired assistant area director. And my office manager saw me freaking out, and she says, it is not you. Your family's safe. But it's not really safe. A lot of things have changed after 9-11. Muslims became the target of a lot of violence. I had nothing to do with 9-11. None of these people, my Muslim community had nothing to do with them. I feel and everyone feel our religion was hijacked to the worst part. We are peaceful uh, people. We have existed for the longest time. You cannot hold 1.7 billion people responsible for the act of some criminals and thugs who created and who did this horrific
1: attack. You're one of the bridges in this state of West Virginia. You You meet regularly with Rabbi Yureki in the the Jewish community. You meet with uh, Bishop Klusmeyer in the Christian community. It's very much a concerted effort on the various different religions in West Virginia to work together to produce more good for this state.
4: Absolutely, after 9-11 and after I retired, I saw the need to build bridges of understanding talk to people, let them know who we are, invited people to the Muslim Islamic Center, to the mosque. We had many events to let them know we are not your enemies. We are the one who are working specifically in this COVID on uh, uh, in the frontline healthcare workers. Look at CAMC, it's full of physicians who are providing healthcare services uh, during the COVID. And they're all mosques, uh, high majority of them are Muslims coming from this community, so we're not your enemies.
1: Several of them are my doctors. I won't name my name because they hip and stuff, but I have several uh, members of your your association who are my doctors at CAMC and Thomas Hospital, and they do good work. Listen, I wanna talk about the uh, welcoming week, the second annual welcoming week here in West Virginia. This past Friday, uh, Mayor Amy Goodwin kicked it off at City Hall by delivering the speech. There is an effort to welcome immigrants to West Virginia, including some of the refugees we're seeing flee Afghanistan, people who helped us when we were
4: Absolutely. This is the time to stand up, step up, if you are a goodwill individual. Afghanis and many immigrants who come to this country are going to do nothing but good deed, provide services or provide their entrepreneurs, their good community, and uh, specifically the Afghani. Uh, community who are now fleeing the refugees. They were our allies. They helped American in Afghanistan. So it's now time for us to bring them here and and help them out. We're not going to bring them by the hundreds of thousands to Charleston. We need the help of worker. We need the help of uh, able bodies to work. Steve Roberts came out yesterday in support of bringing Afghani. And WVIRM has been bombarded by calls of people who wants to help. How do I help uh, with the resettlement of Afghani refugees, we don't have Afghani community in this in this uh, mosque or in Charleston, but we will be more than welcoming they're Muslims, they're good people, and they have shown the American people how good they are by helping them for the past 20 years when we were in Afghanistan.
1: On Monday, September 13th, you're hosting an event for people to learn more about Islam at the at the mosque here in Charleston? We're South Charleston. A whole, we,
4: yeah, we're hosting a whole week of welcome immigrants. Starting on, We started with Mayor Goodwin on Friday, and then every single day there is an event, but on Monday there is an introduction to Islam. We want you to learn about, about us, and we Want you to learn about our religion.
1: All right. We want to thank Sue Barazi again. She's vice president of the Islamic Center of West Virginia as well as the West Virginia Interfaith Refugee Ministry uh, for all the good work you do in your, our community. God thank bless you, you. and we'll, 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 we'll talk again soon. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Inside West Virginia Politics. You can hear more from state, local, and federal lawmakers each and every Sunday morning on WOWK-TV in Charleston, WBOY-TV in Clarksburg, WDVM in the Eastern Panhandle, WTRF in Wheeling, and WVNS in Beckley. You can also find a new episode of the Inside West Virginia Politics podcast right here on this feed every Monday morning. If you like the show, make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts.
0: Inside West Virginia Politics is a Next Star Media Group production hosted and managed by Mark Curtis. Inside West Virginia Politics is recorded and edited inside the studios of WOWK-TV in Charleston, West Virginia. All rights reserved.